Well, uh, throughout uh, history, mankind just seems to have this big societal uh, gap. Uh, and it comes in various different ways, but, but for some reason or another, we just can't seem to all get along. Uh, and I th- we don't necessarily know why this is. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas out there, but in my opinion, a lot of it deals with uh, our fear. Uh, our fear of that which is different. Uh, and when our fear of that which is different comes upon us, we tend to react to people in very negative ways. Uh, and so just to give you some examples of what I'm talking about, uh, for a long time throughout history, uh, there was this fear of people who were left-handed. All right, so how many of you are left-handed today? All right, I have uh, three kids out of my four that are left-handed, which is crazy. Uh, in my opinion, but because I'm not left-handed and my wife is not either. So, uh, but for a long time, left-handedness was this kind of fear, and, and and many people were forced not to use your left hand, but to use your right hand over and over again until you were taught out of it. Uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, left-handedness was enough to determine that you are a witch, uh, and a witch in the Middle Ages meant you were burned, and so you did not want to be left-handed, especially in that time period. Right, but it's it just one of those things that it was because they were different that people got fearful. Uh, another example is that of learning disabilities. Uh, until recently, if someone was learning, had a learning disability, uh, it oftentimes uh, left them in bad places and society treated them unfairly uh, and in different ways. And, and, and it's only until recently that that is starting to change. Uh, We see uh, this big time within racial divides, Uh, even in our society today, this this world, this uh, country that we live in, where we bring all kinds of people from all over the world together. We don't ever seem to really, truly intermingle the way uh, many of the founding fathers thought we should. Uh, And we see that uh, uh, this has led to lots of divides, even in our own country. And I think some of it is overplayed and overhyped, but I think a lot of what we see in the media today is a fear of people over that which is different. We're fearful of Hispanics coming into our country. We're fearful of refugees and Muslims and Middle Eastern men coming into our country because we're afraid of what they are going to do. And while, yes, maybe some of them are bad, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't help people. And this racial divide, this, big, this is the biggest thing. The racial divide of, of society uh, has not, is not something new. You know, it's been going on forever. We've seen in the 20th century and beyond genocidal wars fought over people and trying to kill them simply because they were different. I mean, some of you may have remembered World War II and we had the Nazis and they were exterminating anyone who was not an Aryan. Right? They, they thought they were the supreme race, and if you were different, you were killed. Uh, we see it uh, even in Africa, even in recent times. Uh, there was a movie called Hotel Rwanda, uh, and it tells about the Rwanda genocide between the Hutu and the Tutsis, uh, two different people that fought a war killing not just men, but also women and children, trying to extinguish uh, one tribe over the other, and it was a genocide war in 1994. You know, that's not that long ago. You know, and, and this is just, seems to me, how we are as a human race for some reason or another. Well, today we want to uh, talk about the New Testament and see that for them, 
It wasn't that different. While they weren't necessarily trying to kill women and children, there was definitely a racial divide. And and the racial divide that we're going to look at is that of the Jews with pretty much everyone else. See, the Jews, they, they really didn't like anyone else. They thought they were God's chosen people, and they were. God had come to them and said, we're going to bless the nations through you. Uh, and they kind of ignored that and, and thought, God said, we're going to bless you through yourself. All right? They ignored that the blessing that God was sending was for everyone, everywhere. And so the Jews, they kind of had a negative view of everybody else. We see it with their reaction, interactions with the Samaritans. All right? The Samaritans were bad because the Samaritans were half-Jews. Right, and anything worse than a, a Gentile, a nation, was a half-Jew. And so they would even go out of their way to avoid the Samaritan nation. Uh, they, uh, then we had the interaction with the Gentiles. And Gentiles is a Greek word that simply means nations. And so if you're not a Jew, you're a part of the nations. You're a Gentile. And they, uh, strict Jews, did everything they could to avoid association with Gentiles. They would not eat with Gentiles. If uh, a woman, a Gentile woman was giving birth and having complications, they wouldn't help her because all she was doing was giving birth to a Gentile. And so they would uh, 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 just avoid them and, and, and allow the woman to die in childbirth. I mean, that's how the Jews interacted. Uh, and it affected how the church initially interacted with the world. And so today we're going to be uh, looking at, at this change, this shift uh, in the church's thinking. Uh, there are moments in history that, that change the course of history. Right? We see it in such times like uh, AD 40, 455. And in 455 AD, there was a Germanic tribe called the Vandals. And they came in and they vandalized Rome. They sacked Rome. Uh, and it completely destroyed the Roman Empire's control over Europe. Uh, and then entered into the new ages, the dark ages, as we call them. Uh, we see in 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and he discovered a continent that the Europeans didn't know about. And it changed the course of history. It changed their focus from infighting amongst themselves there to another place where they could fight with each other. 1776, uh, the United States declared independence from Great Britain, and it led to a cascading effect for the rest of the nations in America breaking away from the European control. There are points in history that just change the course of history. And today we're going to look at Acts chapter 10, uh, which is a change in the history of the church. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, we would encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 10 and follow along with us there. Uh, We're going to be uh, just looking at this uh, very significant portion of the church history. And we're going to read, starting in verse 1, we're going to be introduced to the first of two main characters. Uh, In in verse 1, we read that at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiments. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He uh, gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. On one, on one day, uh, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God co- who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. 
The angel will answer, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send two men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, uh, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, and a devout soldier was with him uh, and his tenants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to, excuse me, to Joppa. All right, so uh, we're introduced to this man by the name of Cornelius. He is a military man. Uh, he is called a centurion. Uh, and basically, how the Roman Empire uh, kind of broke up their army, they would have these legions. And these legions uh, were about 6,000 men in uh, each legion. So however many legions they had, that's how big their army was. Uh, but each legion was uh, divided up into six cohorts or ten cohorts of about 600 men each. Uh, and then even further than that, each cohort uh, had centuries. All right? and, and the centuries uh, were, were controlled by the centurions. Uh, so this guy was pretty much uh, the chief guy of what we would call um, a, uh, a company of soldiers. All right? he's, he's the uh, sergeant of that or whatever you want to call him. All right? And so he's, uh, he's in charge of this. He has lots of power over uh, this group of people that he has. Uh, and we're told that he is God-fearing. Now, the, uh, the Jews, they did not associate with Gentiles. They did not eat with them. They did not sit with them. But they did allow Gentiles to come and to learn about the God of Israel. All right, and so the synagogues, uh, you would have uh, the Jews there every, son- or every Saturday. Uh, and then some of the Gentiles would come in to, to listen. All right, and, and from there, the Gentiles were allowed to go through a process called proselytizing, uh, where they could go from being Gentiles uh, to being circumcised and taking on the laws of the Jews and becoming a Jew themselves. All right, uh, now, not everyone was allowed to enter into that process of proselytizing. Uh, as a military man, Cornelius would not have been allowed to do that. All right, and so he, more than likely, was just this guy that was coming to the synagogue every Sabbath day uh, and listening. And he was giving his money. And he was pretty much forsaking the gods of his ancestors and devout, him, devoted himself to the God of Israel. And they called those type of peoples God-fearers. All right, so when you f- read in the New Testament, these were God-fearing Gentiles. That's what they meant. They, de- they were devoted to the God of Israel and, and him alone. All right, and so that's who Cornelius is. He's, he's God-fearing. Uh, he is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. So even though he might be respected by the Jews... Uh, because he's coming and he's giving money to them, uh, he is still not one of them. Right? And he's still separated from that. And we see that he's even uh, following Jewish customs of certain times of prayer. Because in one of these prayers uh, he was doing he, is when God comes to him. And God says, listen, I've seen all that you have done. Uh, and we've seen your, your memorial offering, the gifts that you're giving to all these people. And he tells them, you need to send for Simon, who is called Peter. All right, so we're going to call him Peter throughout most of the rest of this. All right, Simon Peter. Uh, and, and he says he's in Joppa. And Joppa is like a 30 miles away from, from Caesarea, where, where Cornelius is at. Uh, these were both uh, coastal cities. It would have taken a little over a day to get there. And so Cornelius, he hears the angel's message. And the first thing that he does is he brings in his servants and says, Okay, you guys go and get him. 
All right, and so he sends them off, off to Joppa, and that's uh, kind of where we're at. Uh, so that's the first person that in this story. We have Cornelius, uh, the military man, the God-fearing man, uh, the devout Gentile. But he can't be a Jew. Just remember that. All right, then we turn to the second man in the story, and it, we read about him starting in verse 9. Uh, it says that about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, uh, the second person in the story, went up on a roof to pray. Uh, he became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Uh, he, he saw heaven open up and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter! Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. Immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. All right, so we see uh, Peter is staying with a guy by the name of Simon the Tanner. <coughs> he is uh, distinguished that way because uh, Peter's name. Excuse me, Peter's name is also Simon. Uh, and so Peter, uh, as a tanner, this man's house would have also been his place of work. Uh, and, and, and it would have been by the sea uh, because of how he did his job and needing to, to use water quite a bit. And so uh, the houses in that in this area of the world at this time, they would often have been uh, flat on top. The roofs would have been flat and they would have had canopies uh, because it gets really hot and you don't want to be in a hot house on a hot day. And so people would in the midday usually go up on top of the roof uh, and, and the canopy would have protected them from the sun and the wind that was coming off of the ocean uh, would have been enough of a breeze to cool them off uh, during the day. And so Peter, he's on top of this roof at midday uh, and he's getting hungry the people go to go prepare him a meal and as he's there he falls into this trance he's praying uh, and, and God shows him in this vision uh, and it's a very interesting vision the vision is very simple a sheet comes down has all kinds of animals on it reptiles uh, they want to make sure that you understand there's snakes and there's lizards and there's all kinds of creepy crawly things and a voice from heaven says get up and eat. Uh, and Peter says, no, I will not do that. Uh, and so this, this vision, uh, it's going to have a couple meanings, okay? The first meaning is the obvious meaning that we kind of see, all right? God uh, here is telling Peter, kill and eat, all right? Now, the Jews, they had a very strict dietary law, all right? They were only allowed to eat certain things and other things they were not allowed to touch. And if they did, they became ceremonially unclean, meaning that they could not participate in the worship that was at the temple of God, all right? So if you were ceremonially unclean, you could not participate in the religious life of the Israel, of Israel. And Israel was their whole culture revolved around that. And so you did everything that you possibly could not to be unclean. And so when Peter is asked to eat these things, his reaction is, no, I can't do that. If I do that, I can't participate in the worship of God. And so God, the voice from heaven, where you assume is Jesus or God, says, don't call what is impure what God has declared as pure. And so uh, the, the initial meaning is, is kind of something reminding Peter what Jesus had said at one point in time. 
So Jesus, during his ministry at one point in time, was talking about ceremonial cleanliness. And he says, it is not what enters into a man that makes him impure, but rather what comes out of his mouth, what comes out of his heart, is what makes that person impure. And so Jesus had already declared, it doesn't matter what you eat. All right? And here, Peter is being reminded that it doesn't matter what you eat. All right? So that's one meaning. It's a simple meaning. Uh, but there's another meaning to this. Uh, it, it is a preparation for Peter because the Jews, their view of the Gentiles was that they were impure. The reason why they didn't associate with Gentiles was because they were impure people. They weren't special by God. They weren't uh, circumcised. They weren't uh, taken on this burden that God had given the, the Jews. And so they were just impure and you didn't want to associate with them. And so Peter is being prepared for what is about to take place. He's going to be asked to go to Cornelius' house. We already know from our story that that's what's about to happen. And Peter, if his mindset is, I cannot associate with Gentiles, he is not going to go. And so God is preparing him to understand that it really doesn't matter who you are. You are not necessarily impure in the eyes of God. And so Peter, he's reflecting on this, uh, and we're told in verse uh, 17 uh, that the men, uh, that while he's reflecting on this vision, the men uh, sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's, uh, the tanner's house was, and he stopped, they stopped at the gate. Notice, they don't go in, okay? They stop at the gate because it was custom for Jews not to associate with Gentiles, and they are, are, are holding to that custom, Right, they're making sure that they're not doing anything disrespectful. And they start to shout from the gate, Hey, we're looking for Simon who is called Peter. Is he here? Uh, and Peter, while he's up on the roof still thinking about it, the Spirit says, Simon, uh, uh, three men are looking for you. Go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them. And so Peter goes down. Uh, he, he asks them, Why have you come? I'm the man you're looking for. Uh, and they told him about Cornelius, uh, and Peter invites them in. And, and, and we see this, this starting to shift, this starting to break from Peter's understanding of how Jews should relate to everyone else. Uh, it, it shifts from them being allowed to come in and to spend the night with, with where Peter and, the, and them are. This is a huge step. Right? This is a major step forward that Peter is taking. Uh, well, uh, Peter is going to, in verse 23, uh, go with them. Uh, the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. All right, so some of the uh, Christians that are with them, that are Jewish Christians, they go along with Peter to see what the big deal is about. Uh, verse 24, we're told that the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and his close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him stand up, he said, or made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside. He found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, You are all aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I went, sent for you, I came without raising objections. May I ask why you have sent me for me? Right, and so we we're, we're see that Peter, he enters into this house. Cornelius is there. Cornelius is excited. You know, he, he has no idea what Peter's going to tell him, but he's excited anyways. All right, that, that's the ironic thing. The angel only said, go get Peter. All right, 
I, I don't know why I w- I'm supposed to get Peter. I'm just going to go get Peter. And so he's excited. He's invited a lot of people, a large crowd to come and hear what Peter is going to tell them. And he doesn't know what that is. Can you imagine inviting someone like that? Hey, guys, will you come over to this, to this guy? He's going to talk to us. What's he talking about? I don't know. Just come talk. Come, come listen. It's going to be good. All right, and that's, that's what Cornelius had to do. And he gets all these people together. Uh, he falls down. He almost he worships Peter in a way. Uh, it's kind of how the Gentiles would have done for people of status. Uh, and Peter says, no, 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 no. I'm just like you are. All right, and then Peter, uh, he cites this historical, uh, this cultural precedence. Right? As Jews, we're not allowed to even be in the same household or to even talk to you guys. And he, he brings that up, but then he also gives us this secondary meaning to his vision. Right, the vision has to deal with people. Right? It doesn't matter who people are. They are not impure un, or, or pure. It doesn't, that, 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 that understanding of who people are, it, it, it's gone. Right? And Peter says, I'm not supposed to call you impure. Right? God's shown me this. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter... Uh, what you've done in your past, nothing disqualifies you from meeting Jesus. And this is something that we have to understand. All right? It doesn't matter who your parents were. All right? It doesn't matter uh, what sins you've committed in your life. It doesn't matter what your social status is. You can be the president of the United States or a homeless person. All right? You are worthy of meeting Jesus because He is the King of the universe. And He just because you're human, does, wants to be with you and wants you to know about him. All right? And so uh, I, the, 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 the circumcised people that are with Peter, they don't really understand this, as we'll see in a moment. They're just following Peter, and they're probably shocked that Peter is going into the house. And sometimes I wonder if we get this. You know, do we really understand that the message of Jesus is for everyone? Now, I think a lot of times, because we're human, we allow our fear of the differences that we see in people to keep us from sharing the message with them. Now, we have stereotypes, just like the Jews had stereotypes of the Gentiles. And we allow our stereotypical understanding of what people are and where they're at to keep us from going to their homes. You know, if they walk in the door, we're very friendly. All right, don't get me wrong. We're, we're very much, hey, we're glad you're here. We're excited you're with us. But do we go to their homes? If our neighbor is that person, same type of person that's walked in, are we as friendly with them as we're friendly with that person that's coming to the church doors? I mean, that, that's, that's what we have to understand is we're not just meant to greet people when they come in the church. We're meant to go out to them. And Peter, he's been asked to come, and he needs that shove by God. You need to go here, all right? They are not pure or impure. Just go to them. And Peter walks into his home, and he begins to preach. All right? And he starts talking about uh, Jesus, and he talks about how, how God has, 
has chosen Jesus to, to bless the world and how salvation is found in Jesus alone. And in verse 44 and 48, we read that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on those who heard the message and the circumcised believers who were come with Peter, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. Uh, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. All right, so here's what's happening. is Peter's talking, and he's talking, and he's not giving an invitation. All right? He's not saying, Do you want to become a Christian? Right, he's just talking about Jesus, and suddenly God says, okay, Holy Spirit, come upon him. They get the message. Peter needs to understand that he needs to stop talking now. All right, and so the Holy Spirit comes on him, and he does something that he's only done one other time in history. All right, he comes upon the believers here, just like he came upon the early Christians in Acts chapter 2. I think the only uh, way for God to get across to the Jewish Christians that were there, was to show them that they are just as worthy as they were. All right, and so he gives them the Holy Spirit. They start to speak in tongues, just like they did in Acts chapter 2. And as they're speaking in tongues, the other Jews are like, whoa, what's happening? I mean, their understanding of how God interacts with mankind was completely blown out of the waters. And Peter takes them that final step and says, who is going to object for them being baptized? And the answer is, of course, no one. I mean, they understand that they cannot stand in the way of God. And so when Peter makes that suggestion, they go, yes, let's go. And they baptize these people. And Peter stays with them for three days. All right, and, and, and the news starts to travel. Did you hear what Peter just did? And not everyone is happy about it. In chapter 11, the story continues, and, and it says that the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with them. And starting from the beginning of the story, Peter began to tell the whole story. We're not going to read it because we just read it. All right? and, and basically, they are very upset with Peter, not necessarily because he baptized some Gentiles, but because he went into their house and he ate with them. I mean, they're, they're, on, they're, they're just complete, their prejudice are showing in this. All right? They are not happy with what Peter has done. And so Peter just begins to tell them the story. And it's important to understand that in a time where resources were limited, the author of the book of Acts thought this story was so significant that it needed to be told over and over again. All right, there's a lots of repetition. We start off with Cornelius' vision, and then Cornelius talks about his vision again. We read the story of Peter going into his house and his vision, and then we read it again. I mean, this, this story is so important and so pivotal in the book of Acts that Luke tells it twice. All right, and he's talking about how God ordained this and how God gave the Holy Spirit to them and we could do nothing but baptize them. And the reaction to all of this is summed up in verse 18 when he says, when they heard uh, this, they had no further objections uh, and they praised God, saying, So then, even so, to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
All right, so we, we, we get these people who are now excited, praising God once they understand what is really happening here. The point of this series that we're going through, this, this uh, a series that we've called Aftershock, is to look at situations that the uh, early Christians found themselves in and how they reacted. All right, and so, so let's look at this situation. What has happened in a nutshell, if you will? Uh, we see that even in the New Testament, there were societal gaps. All right, there were societal gaps uh, between one race of people to the next. In the, this case, it was between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jewish Christians, they could not allow their understanding of what was right and wrong to allow them to bridge that gap. But the gospel, the story of Jesus, the good news of salvation that we find in the name of Jesus and the acts that he did on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection, they bridge those gaps. The God that we see in the book of Acts is a God for all people, not just for one set of group, one group of people, not just for Jews. All right? He is a God for the Gentiles as well. And the salvation that we find in Jesus is not meant for the Jews alone, but also for the Gentiles. And Peter's understanding of this had to be stretched. He has this vision. He goes in, and even then, he's not necessarily offering an invitation, but God has to show him through the power of the Holy Spirit that these men are worthy of the salvation that is found in Jesus. For the rest of the Jews, they still were very hesitant. Even those who came with Peter, they were hesitant to be there until God showed his power. In Judea, when they got back to Jerusalem, they were very hesitant until they heard the full story. Right, but God, in His matchless wisdom and grace, showed how important it was that all people know about Him. So what does that mean for us? Well, today our society has lots of gaps. And we see it being played out in our election cycle. Right, we see the gaps uh, between uh, that which is rich and that which is poor. Right, we see the gaps from one race of people to the next. And if God is a God that is meaning to bridge those gaps that we find in our society, to bridge the divides that we have created ourselves, then we as a people of God must work together in bridging those gaps. We cannot allow our rhetoric and our personal feelings to divide people. Uh, we are called as a group of people, as Christians, to, to come together, to be peacemakers, to bring our society under this one God that we serve. And so we cannot allow what we post on Facebook, or what we tweet out, or what we say in public, or what we write in emails to, to divide humanity. We need to be bringing humanity together. So how does this play out directly? Now, what is our reaction to illegal immigrants? I mean, in America, that's a big hot topic, is it not? And yes, what they're doing is illegal. I understand that. But they need Jesus. And as Christians, we cannot be fighting against these people. We need to just be showing them the love of Christ. There is another top, uh, a hot topic is refugees from Syria. Muslims, Middle Eastern men. You know, this is a big thing that we get very angry about as, as, as uh, Americans. 
But those people that are coming into this country, they need Jesus. And as Christians, we cannot allow our division to divide us. We must show them love. See, the God that we serve is not a God for white Anglo-Saxon Americans. Our God that we serve is the God of the entire world. And he wants not just white Anglo-Saxon Americans to to be serving him and to know salvation. He wants everyone everywhere to know salvation. And as Christians, it's our job not to pick and choose who we get to tell about Jesus, but just to tell people about Jesus. And I think we have to understand that uh, the divides that we have in our world, it cannot keep us from telling people about Jesus. We must be men and women of the cross. We must be men and women sharing the good news wherever we go. And that is the reaction that we see in Acts chapter 10. That is what we should be doing. Can we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we have Jesus. And Lord, we're grateful that we have salvation in his name. And Lord, I just as we examine ourselves, I pray that we uh, are not selfish as Christians. Uh, that, that yes, we understand that there are gaps in our society, but everywhere we look, there are people that need you. And I pray, God, that uh, the differences that we come across, the, our opinions of, of who and how things should be done, uh, does not keep us from telling the world about you. Help us not to be people who are dividing this world and, and causing enemies to, to arise, but rather uh, people that, who are peacemakers, who are taking steps uh, to draw people together, uh, because that is what you have meant for us to do. Help us to be people that look beyond color of skin and look beyond uh, wallet sizes uh, and just focus on the fact that as humans, we're sinners and we're desperately in need of you. Help us share that news with this world. Amen.